Father, thank you for blessing us with another day to be alive and a Lord's Day where we can gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ and our friends who join us and look to you. We worship you, God the Father, in the name of God the Son, in the power of God the Holy Spirit. We pray that this may be a day of saving grace for some, some who have heard Cassandra's testimony and realize I need Christ too. Father, would you move in their hearts to draw them to Jesus Christ today? You have drawn many of us and you are now our Lord, our sovereign, our God, our love, our chief love. Have your way in our souls today. Teach us, instruct us from your word. We humbly sit at your feet, Lord Jesus. You are our prophet, our priest, our king. Reign over us. We pray that you will strengthen husbands and wives in particular through this part of your word, that you'll strengthen families, that the fragrance of Christ will be abundant in our homes, that your light will shine into our marriages. We pray for all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and it's, it's now about marriage. It's about husbands, and it's about wives. And the text we've been looking at the past two weeks is to the wives. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And husbands, we're going to be looking at now, husbands, love your wives. I want to remind you that this is not these are not commands. None of God's commands are commands by which you, upon your sufficient obedience, please God and are so named a Christian. No, 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 no. His, his commands serve to convict us of our sins. We have all violated his commands, and because of that, we need Christ. They're to drive us to Christ where we find salvation. And there at the cross, there by grace through faith, we become Christians. And when we become Christians, he, he does something for us. He cancels out the debt of our trespasses and our sins, and he does something in us. He makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. He gives us new hearts. He sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. He puts in us a residing love of the truth. Now we, to use, to use Paul's terminology to the Thessalonians, we have turned I think it's 110. We have turned from our idols, all the things we lived for, to God that he might be God to us, the living and true God, and we've turned to await for his son from heaven. So we're a, we're a turned people, and this is how we live now under the sovereign government of our beloved king. His commandments are our delight. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now we have new loves, which also give us new hates. We hate when we break his commands. It used to be fun. Now it's fun till it isn't. And then we hate it, and we sorrow for it, and we mourn for it, and we go back to the cross again for fresh grace, and we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we have new loves. We love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. We love his word, we love his kingdom, we love pleasing him, we love bringing him honor and glory. So these commands are to be, be fulfilled evangelically out of the loves of a new heart with mourning and sorrow when we fail, and, and fail we do. So give him your heart, give him your love, 
love his commandments, love his way, and seek to follow him faithfully because you are in Christ. So here's what we're going to do today. We're doing two things in the sermon. That was the intro. And now two things. Thing number one, we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at this thing called evangelical feminism. Why? Well, because it is the pushback to what we've seen in this portion of God's word, which says, wives, be submissive to your husband, husband, you're the head of the wife, lead, and so on. And there's an evangelical feminist pushback to that that we ought to pay some attention to because it's all around us, and you're probably hearing it. It's, uh, it's tentacles are trying to reach into your soul and into your mind, so we ought to identify it and know what's going on there. And we're doing this because... Well, because a very important part of my job as a pastor is to watch. That's one of the very powerful and persistent images given to us in the New Testament. Acts chapter 20, Paul to the Ephesian elders, 1 Timothy, pastoral epistle, 2 Timothy, pastoral epistle, Titus, pastoral epistle, and again and again and again. It's to watch and to guard and to oversee and to protect. So part of my job is to watch for what's out there that might try to come in here and warn our flock about it so you don't go there. By the way, I want to remind you or inform you as the case may be that if you ever interpret anything that I'm talking about, if you today interpret this, me talking about evangelical feminism, if you ever interpret it as me getting political in the pulpit, well, you are misinterpreting things. I just want you to know I am absolutely fundamentally opposed to politics in the pulpit. So if you ever think, man, Steve's getting political there, you are misunderstanding. I'm seeking to apply the teachings of the Word of God to the issues in our culture today. Yes, some of those will intersect with various political positions. That's not my concern. My concern is this is the Word of God. We are the people of God. Let us learn the will of God and do it. So I just want to clarify that. If from now till I die, or till you tell me it's time to stop, dear old brother Steve, or till Jesus comes, from now till then, if you ever, ever, ever think I'm doing politics in the church, well, I'm not. Or if I'm wrong and I am, then rebuke me. We don't want politics. This is not a political body. I'm not a political leader. I'm a pastor. We're the church of Jesus Christ. I want to make that clear. So if you ever think, oh, I like Pastor Steve because he's doing the Republican thing, you're wrong. And if you ever think, I don't like Pastor Steve because he's doing the Republican thing, you're wrong. I am never doing the Republican thing or the Democrat thing. Frankly, I'm not very happy with either one of them. It's like one has already gone off the cliff. The other one's headed there pretty fast. So what's the difference? That'll disappoint some of you. I'm, I'm, my hope is not in, in Republicans. My hope is in Jesus Christ and his church and the gospel. Amen. So let me just clarify that. So this is not about politics, but evangelical fem feminism, a pushback to wives submit to your own husbands. So there have been four waves of feminism. We're in the fourth right now. The first one started in 1850 and various ways. I'm not going to go into those. You can Google them and read about them yourself. But there's an evangelical or a so-called evangelical version of it that is prominent in our land. Let me just tell you. So back in the 80s, I first became aware of it. And I read my first book by a very prominent 
scholarly, smart, evangelical feminist teacher. His name was Paul King Jewett, and he wrote a book about man and woman in Christ, and I read that book back then. And ever since then, I'm looking for what are the best books written by this team and what are the best, best books written by that team, and I want you to know I read them both. There are two books in culture right now that are very, very much read, bestseller this, very prominent. They're not very scholarly, frankly. They're not that good. But because they're so prominent and read by so many people, I just read those six months ago, a year ago, whenever it was. I want to stay up on these things. And it's very important when I talk about this that I not paint a caricature of them and then attack it. It's very important that I, might, that I not make a straw man and knock it down. If you want to do business with ideas, what you have to do, and you have somebody with an opposing idea, what you always have to do is learn their view that you could present it to them in such a way that they would say, yes, that's exactly my position. No caricature, no straw man. And then, and only then, can you begin to evaluate it. Well, here's why I don't agree with your position. So I want you to know I'm working hard not to create a straw man here and then knock it down. So how do evangelical feminists respond to our passages? Well, I have too many answers to that question. Will you all stay here as I go through too many answers? This is only part one of the sermon. Will you, will you stay here? Thank you. I got one big thumbs up and a few yeses. Good. I'm going to go for it. So number one, here's a slide. Take a drink. Evangelical feminists call the gender identity command passages, quote, the hard passages. So there's where I want to start, identifying them. They refer to, they're the passages, they're, they're listed for you. Ours is in there, Ephesians 5, 22. And they call these the hard passages. And they're trying to deal with the hard passage in a way that basically, frankly, makes them mean something else or makes them go away. Um... I can't give a lot of response to each of these. It'll take too long, but I do want to give this response to that. If, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you bow the knee. He is your Lord and your Savior. I would hope, I can understand Christians can struggle sometimes, but I would hope you would never have a hard passage. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I would hope you would be like Abraham, did God give Abraham what could have been called a hard passage? He said, leave your country and go. I'm not telling you where, but I'll guide you as you go. Abraham says, yes, Lord. And then he gets there and he says, uh, your son, your only son, the one and only son, you, the one I promised you, you're supposed to get seed like the heavens and the stars and sand on the sea. On the sea. Um, I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me over on Mount Moriah. And the text says, and Abraham rose up early. He didn't say like, oh man, Lord, I don't know that. It's a hard passage. I'm going to have to work with that for a few weeks here. He rose up early because whatever my Lord says, I bow. I've already made that a standard in my life. So that if, if I, I have read the whole Bible, but if I, I'm reading it tomorrow and I discover a piece I missed and what it says is, now this is the most stupid illustration I've ever given you, so I admit it, but here it is. If I discover a place in the Bible that says, and men should shave their heads and stand on their heads and spit out nickels. Wasn't that stupid? Well, I'm going to go home and shave my head and stuff nickels in my mouth and try to stand on my head. 
Whatever the word of God says. We've already decided, I submit to the will of God as revealed in the word of God. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I hope you'll be there with me. So you never say, I understand, you might struggle with something, but you never say, oh, that's a hard passage, I don't know. No, I hope there aren't any. A second thing about evangelical feminists, they claim that patriarchy, which means father rule, is a result of the fall. So they have to admit that the Bible all the way through, and frankly, all of human culture for all of history that we know of, has been patriarchal. In the older days, it wasn't just like you and your family. It was an extended family. It would be like, there's my dad. He'd be the patriarch. He's 94. And then there's me, and then there's our sons and their wives and their kids. And that is the family. He is the patriarch. Now it's more like, well, we just have families. And so I'm, I'm the patriarch. My wife, our kids, their wives, their kids, father rule. But they claim that patriarchy, father rule, was a result of the fall. Now, here's, here's why that matters to them. See, if patriarchy came after the fall, then we can work now to redeem and overturn the results of the fall, right? We do that with other results of the fall. God said to the woman, in pain you shall bear children. Are you thankful, women, for modern medicine that can alleviate that pain? Is there anything wrong with alleviating that pain? Is it evil to get the spinal tap? Is that what it's called? Spinal block. Spinal tap. That's some band, isn't it? I don't know what that is. All right. So whatever the thing is, the pain reliever. Are analgesics bad? God said to the man, now your life's going to get rougher too. It's like by sweat and toil and pain, you're going to eke out a living from the land. Is it wrong that we have air-conditioned John Deere tractors? No, that's right. It's fine. Bless God for those. So it is right that we can overturn some of the the penalties of the fall. Now, their claim is, and female submission to a husband is is a result of the fall. Patriarchy is a result of the fall. So we can also, we are justified in overturning patriarchy. Now, we could have a whole sermon on why they're wrong, but let's just have one verse. Ephesians 3, two verses, pardon me, one passage. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. Paul writes, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. The Greek word there is patera, Father. From whom every family, the Greek word is patria, fatherhood, patriarchy, in heaven and earth his name. Paul says there's a father, a patera, and every family on the planet, everything that's called a patriarchy, it's what they're all called, they, they come from, they're named that because they're like the father. If you don't like patriarchy, you really need to submit to the will of a sovereign God. You really need to bow the knee to God, then you won't have any problem with what he calls you to, or hopefully you won't. The Bible sets up a patriarchy. Evangelical feminists claim it's only a result of the fall. Let's change it. Here's the third point. I need to move faster. Come on, Steve, coaching myself. Move faster. Evangelical feminists assert 
that the Bible teaches the full equality of men and women without any role distinctions. Can we have that slide, please? That'll be a number three in the front of it. Thank you. There we go. Thanks. The Bible teaches the full equality of men and women without any role distinctions. Now, let me remind you, look back to the message last week, and we've already established that men and women are equally created in the image of God. Amen? We have equal personhood and equal dignity and equal value and equal worth. We're created differently from one another physically and in other internal ways, but we're, we're equal in a lot of ways. Peter brings this up when he's talking about husbands and wives. And husbands do this and wives do that. And then he says to the husband, she is a joint heir of the grace of life. Like there's a leveling right there. We all understand there are ways in which we are level. We are equal. We're in the same place. We're on the same ground. But evangelical feminists assert that there are therefore no role distinctions. So what do they do with the hard passages? What do they do with our verses in Ephesians chapter 5 that say, wives, be submissive to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. What do they do? Well, here are two things they do. Number one, they just cut them out of their Bible. Like, I don't like that verse. Gone. But if you start cutting verses out of your Bible, you don't have a Bible at all anymore because you can cut any verse out you want and you shut up God's voice. What you're really doing is saying, has God really said? Have you ever heard those words before? And you cut out what you don't like. You don't have a Bible. You don't have a God who can speak to you. You have become your own Bible. You have become the determiner of what the will of God can and cannot be. Not a good place to be. Here's another thing they do. They might not cut it out, but they radically reinterpret it. So let me put it this way. Instead of performing a surgery on the Bible and excising the offensive part, they perform a surgery on the Bible, but they give it a facelift. Leave the offensive verses there, but radically change their appearance. So they wind up saying something other than what they're actually saying. What they usually do is they imagine, they invent and impose on scripture some local event. Paul says to the Ephesians in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that I want the men to be the pastors, etc. And they say, oh, well, that's because, and then they imagine some event that was going on in Ephesus, and he only said that to them to correct that event, but that event is past, so that doesn't apply to us anymore. And, and by specious methodology of Bible interpretation, they relieve themselves of the burdens of those commands. Not so fast, please, with God's word. All right? Hope you won't perform either of those surgeries, the facelift or the excising of the unwanted part. Here's a fourth thing evangelical feminists do. They assert that Galatians 3.28 is the interpretive center. So here's what you got to know about that. So when you're interpreting the Bible, sometimes passages seem to contradict. So what do you do? Well, uh, a very good method of interpreting is which one is the clear one? We'll interpret the unclear one in light of the clear one. That's, that's good hermeneutics. That's good principles of biblical interpretation. The clear one explains the unclear one. They say, Galatians 3.28, that's the clear one. What does it say? Here it is. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ah, they say. There you see. Paul's right in that part. Paul's given us the word of God there. There's no male or female. 
But what is Paul talking about in Galatians? Is he talking about gender roles and distinctions in the family and in the church? No. What's he talking about? He's talking about there aren't two ways to be saved or justified. There's not a male way and a female way. There's not a Greek way and a Gentile, or rather in a Jewish way. No, no, we all come in in the same way. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're absolutely on the same ground in that. But the same Paul who wrote that then says, however, now in real life here on the planet, in the meantime, there are some role distinctions. Like, do you still believe there are parents and children? Are they all equal? No, there's different ranks there, right? Okay. So do you still believe there's a difference between Jews and Gentiles on the planet? Yeah, there are. It's all right to say that's a Jewish person, that's a Gentile person. What about slaves and free? Were there still slaves and free in Paul's day? Yes, and the Bible regulated, we'll see it soon, how they act as slaves and free. Paul's not saying all that is thrown out in every way. He's only saying we all get into the kingdom in the same way. He's not canceling out gender role distinctions. This is not the interpretive center. Number five, move faster, Steve. Evangelicals assert, evangelical feminists assert that only women can speak to women about women's issues. For example, modesty or abortion. You're a man. You can't talk about modesty. Well, why not? The men who gave us the parts in the Bible about modesty were men. And the Bible tells pastors to teach the whole counsel of God. So pastors are men and pastors are supposed to teach the church about everything, including like modesty. What about abortion? You can't talk about abortion if you're a man. Well, yeah, you really can. And you have to if you're a pastor because you're supposed to proclaim the whole will of God to the people of God. But this is very common. You're a man. You can't talk about that. No, we really can. Jesus Christ expects us to. Or number six, evangelical feminists argue, I like, this, I like this one, like, this one's common. But I have gifts. But I have gifts. So the fact that you feel you have gifts cancels out the word of God in the passages that tell you how to regulate your use of those gifts. Now, the same spirit who gave you the gifts you believe you have is the spirit who wrote the word of God, who inspired it, who breathed it out of God's mouth and God's heart. And that spirit says, now here's how I want those gifts to be exercised. And so you feel you have gifts, you must submit them, submit them to God and the dictates of Scripture. Or number seven, evangelical feminists imagine that they find women in leadership in the Bible. Would like to spend time on that. I can't come talk to me someday. Or number eight, some who are not evangelical feminists who are evangelicals and not particularly feminists, are nonetheless busy rebranding the hard passages so that by the time they get done, the passages aren't so hard. So this is what's going on with evangelical feminism. Why am I preaching this? Because it's out there. It's showing up here. It's trying, to get it. it's trying to get into your mind and into your soul. And I'm just saying to you, I hope you won't go there. It's not biblical. It's not faithful, though it is in the air we breathe. So that was all part one of today's sermon, all right? Stay with me so far. Part two. Now we're getting to husbands. Y'all been waiting for husbands. I've told you this is the third week in a row. Yeah, we're going to do husbands. All right, we're starting But we're going to have a hinge now. The the second half of the sermon is a hinge leading us from wives 
into husbands. We're going to have them together for a minute, wives and husbands. So we're leaving wives. We're going to husbands. We got them together for a minute. Following that? Okay, so here's what we're doing in this, in this hinge. We're going to look at husbands and wives and creation, what, what's in us by virtue of our creation, what's in the husband, what did God put in him as a man to be a husband, what's in the wife, what did God put into her by virtue of creation that she would be a wife that way. In creation and in the fall, what happened to the man as a husband because of the fall, what happened to the wife as a wife because of the fall, and in redemption, what is Christ now doing in us? to redeem the results of the fall. That's where we're going now. Husbands and wives, by virtue of creation, fall, and redemption. That's a slide, there it is, okay, good. So to the wife. In creation, Adam was made to lead. Paul makes that very clear in 1 Timothy 2. The man was made first, and there was a gap, maybe a significant gap, and then the woman was made to help him in his cultural mandate that God had given him. God said, I want you to be fruitful. Hard to do that when you're all alone. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Hard to do that all alone. And exercise responsible dominion over it. Hard to do that all alone. Adam, you need help in the cultural mandate. So he, he made Eve. She's the, a helper who is meat for him, who corresponds to him. None of the animals corresponded to him. There's an elephant, yeah, that doesn't, there, there's a dog, yeah, that's, they're nice and all, but uh, there's a woman, oh, all right, there's one that corresponds to me, another human. And God made the man to be the leader and fueled him to be the leader, and he made the woman to be his help, not like, hey, honey, please hand me the wrench, help. Help in the cultural mandate that God gave us regarding the planet. So here's what I want to assert, that in the woman by creation, a wife wants a strong man. She wants a strong man who will love, of course, but who also provide and protect their marriage and their family. She wants a man who's strong enough so that when she is in that time where she can't do everything and she's just had a baby and she has three babies and she's raising babies and she's tending the babies and I'm not saying she might also have a job somewhere and she wants, while, while I'm in that state, I need a man who's gonna protect and provide and yes, love this whole thing. Women want that. It's by virtue of creation. Women want a strong man. She wants him to be strong so he's strong at the job, so he doesn't get stepped on, so he doesn't get demoted, so he doesn't get fired. I want to hire a man who will be strong, who can keep providing for us when I can't because I'm having babies. I understand there are women who don't have babies and want to. I understand that. I'm very sympathetic to that. That's not our topic at the moment. But the wife is created to follow his lead. She wants him to be strong. What happens to her by the fall? That's strong by virtue of creation. She wants him to be strong. What does the fall do to her and in her? Well, she finds within herself because of the fall a desire to buck his leadership sometimes to be the stronger one, to get her way, to fight, to dig in her heels. 
Genesis 3.16 tells us this is part of what happened because of our fallenness. Look at it with me. Here it is. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Here it is. Your desire, because you've fallen now, Eve, there's a change in you. And your desire shall now, sometimes, be contrary to your husband, but he's head, and he shall rule over you. So here's what we find. By virtue of creation, she wants him to be strong and lead our thing and make it good and a blessing and healthy for everybody and protect our kids and provide. She wants that. But by virtue of her fall, she's going to have desires contrary to her husband, and he's supposed to nonetheless be the leader, the head. He's supposed to rule. We'll talk about his rule in a minute. It should be a loving rule, a principled rule, self-sacrificing rule, etc. But here's what happens. By the fall, she wants him to be strong, but by, I'm sorry, by creation. But by her fallenness, she sometimes wants him to be weak. She wants to get him in an arm bar, she wants to get him in a, anybody watch MMA? I, I really don't, but I, I've heard about this thing. I know what it is. It's an omoplata. Sounds like a duck-billed platypus. It's a move you put on a guy where you're about to rip his arm out of his shoulder. You're bending it to where it can't go, and so he taps out. She wants to get him to tap out sometimes because of her fallenness. We know this is what this passage is talking about because we get the exact same words, desire, shall be contrary and rule over you. In the next chapter of the Bible, with Cain and his offering to God that was not accepted. Look at it with me, Genesis 4, 5 through 7. But for Cain and his offering, he, God, had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Now, here are these terms again, the exact same Hebrew words. Sin, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So here you are, Cain, you're fallen, you're a sinner. There's this thing called sin. It has a desire. The desire of sin is that it wants, it, it's contrary to you. But you've got to rule over it. Now, same thing in Genesis 3. Eve, your desire is going to be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Sometimes Eve's desires in the fall will run contrary to Adam's desires. Thus, marital conflict. Has anybody experienced any marital conflict? Sure. There are times when I, I'm, it's a wonder Debbie didn't throw me out. Sure. Thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ and the cross where we can go as sinners to be washed clean. And thank God for the grace that he gives to us and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can change and we can redeem damaged marriages. But Eve's desire now is going to be contrary to him sometimes. That's going to lead to conflicts and problems and disagreements and fights. He is head, but she will want to usurp his headship, but he will rule because God put that in him and fueled him for it. 
So to sum up, inside the woman, by creation, she wants a strong man to lead and provide and protect and love. But by the fall, she sometimes wants to win over him. Here's how that sometimes plays out. They get married. And there's a little disagreement here. Went okay, a little disagreement there. And then there's a big one. I remember our first big one. I remember it vividly. We were in our little apartment. I can picture the table where we were. And I made her so mad during a meal that she had prepared for us on a Friday night that she balled up her napkin and threw it at me. Y'all, y'all, some of you know my wife. Can you imagine Debbie throwing it at me and stormed out of the room, went in the bedroom, slammed the door. And it was my stupidity that led to that. It was. It wasn't her. It was me. I'm being honest. I'm not trying to make her look good. It was me. But sometimes they get married and early on there's a test case. There's a, a bigger thing comes up. And he needs to lead the family in that, but she doesn't want that way. They've talked about it. Ordinarily, in most cases, you're going to arrive at consensus. You're going to talk about things, and nobody would say, oh, look, he's leading. She's submitting. No, you just see two people who love each other and care, and they arrive at consensus, and things go on. But there are times when the man needs to say, honey, I've listened, etc. You get it, all right? But now what does she do then? By creation, she wants him to be strong, but by her fall, she wants to win that. And she discovers sometimes that she can employ tactics and get her own way. She submits him. She armbars him. She omoplatas him. He taps out. And she realizes, ooh, I can submit my man. And maybe she does it again. And maybe she does it again. And maybe she does it again. She likes that, but here's the kicker. She will begin to despise him. Because she wanted strong and he's not strong. Here's something, just flitted into my brain. It wasn't in the first service, just came into my brain. So anybody been to the Comcast store up in, what is that? Up in, um, no, there's one, uh, it's north of Riverside. Can't think of the name of the town right now. Aberdeen, thank you. Up in Aberdeen, Comcast store. Used to be there anyway. I went into that Comcast store once to get a different router, and I don't know why. What happened? The lady behind the counter starts telling me about her boss just out of, out of nowhere. She says, my boss is a wimp. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, tell me about him. And she says, uh, well, he tells me things to do, and I totally ignore him, and he doesn't do anything about it. She's going on about what a wimp this guy is. She despised him because she could easily submit him. This happens. Every woman has both of these desires potentially within her. Every woman has the desire of, I want a strong man who can love, provide, and protect, and take care of this thing and make it all good for everybody. That's in there by creation. But there's also this desire, I'd like to win on this thing. I'd like to dig in my heels and push back and get my way. But if she wins, she'll begin to despise him. My man is weak. I can easily take him down. So that means at the office they can easily take him down. That means in other circumstances in life, in our interaction with that other family down the street and the problem we have, they can easily take him down and she'll begin to despise him. That's the woman. What about the man? The man in creation and fall and redemption. Oh, and that woman in redemption. Now Christ is redeeming that. 
what about the man? By creation, he is to lead. He is made to lead. He's made first to lead. He's made differently to lead. He's fueled to lead, to lead the family to be healthy and on the mission of the cultural mandate and accomplishing that mission. He's the man to lead the family in that mission. And when there are problems, he is to be strong and wise enough and principled enough to deal with the problems redemptively so that everybody's blessed. And everybody's saying, thank God for the way things are going in our family. That's what it ought to be. But what happens to man in the fall and what might happen to a man in redemption? Let's look at four choices for the man. So the man might lead in a way that is beneficent, good to the other people. That's what he should be. By redemption, guys, you should be that. Christ is redeeming you to be that. You lead for the blessing and the benefit and the joy of your family so that your wife says, thank God for this man. And your kids say, maybe in one of their few sane moments, thank God for daddy. That, that's what you're to do. We'll see more about that when we actually, we leave the hinge and we go all in on men. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's beneficent. You can do that. Christ is redeeming Christian men to do that. Or, second choice, you can lead as a tyrant. I met with a couple not long ago. They're not from this church. I'm not outing anybody here. And serious marriage problems. And the man repeated this many times. Well, I'm the king in my house. I just wanted to cut him down to size. I think Jesus Christ needs to be king in your house. And I think whoever wants to be first needs to be a servant of all. That's you, sir. So you're really serving the blessing and the benefit and the joy and the well-being of your wife and your kids. That's what you lead in to get your family healthy so it can be on the mission. But you can be a tyrant. You can lord it over people. You can crush them. You can oppress them. But don't. But that's what men can be by virtue of their fallenness. It's ugly. It's horrible. The poor woman who struggles under that. Or here's the third thing a man can do, and many men choose this one. They can just play, and they're distracted. And the family has challenges, and things are falling apart, and this needs attention, that needs some leadership. But instead of facing all of that and that responsibility, he's just out in the garage playing with his tools. Just totally distracted. I'm having fun out here. And she's inside crying. Why can't I have a man who will lead us and make this better? So he can just go play, avoid leading the family to a better place. And here's a fourth thing a man might do in his fallenness. He might just tap out and be beaten because she's challenging, because she's making it hard. And he says, man, I, I tried to lead once. Whew. Made me pay for that. I'm not doing that again. And you establish a lifelong pattern of she leads, you submit. And you might do that thinking, this is how I'll keep the peace. Yeah, but at what price? Part of the price is she'll despise you. So, 
The wife by creation wants a strong man. The wife by fall sometimes wants to test that strong man. The man by creation wants to lead. The man in his fallenness sometimes leads like a tyrant, sometimes doesn't lead, sometimes plays, sometimes taps out. But he ought to lead in a way that by redemption makes him a beneficent, principled, loving, giving, faithful head of the household. And everybody's blessed because of it. That's what ought to be going on. Now, I would imagine at this point, some of the wives in the church were thinking, man, I've failed. I'm just, things are coming back to me. I remember what I did. I remember what I said. I remember the fight. I remember the issue. You might be remembering things. Let me just remind you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And some of you men might be like, he's talking about me. I've tapped out. He's talking about me. I'm distracted. I just play with my man-sized toys, my truck and my tools and my skis and whatever. I just play, and I'm not fixing all the problems. I'm not redeeming things to everybody's blessing. Well, there's a fountain that is open for sin and uncleanness. So what's that hymn? There's a line in it. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. So men and women, go to the cross. Go to Christ. He forgives sinners. All right, now we're going to leave women. That was a hinge. Now we're in the men. We're in the men. I have... Two minutes and 22 seconds left on the countdown clock. We're in the men. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It's really written to men and women. I'm going to apply it to men. It fits men. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. And then this, act like men. And Paul takes the word for man and turns it into a verb in Greek. So in English, it would be man eyes. Or maybe as we say it, man up. Paul is saying to the men and oddly women of the church, man up. Be strong. Let all that you do, however, be done in love. It's a strong Love that's beneficent for the blessing and benefit and good of. But returning now to the men, and there's your first verse directly for you guys today, guys. It's men, be strong. Your wife wants you to be strong. Strong to lead the family in wisdom. Strong to fix problems. Strong to redeem things. Strong to protect and to provide. Be strong, but it's done in love. Isn't that beautiful? Be strong in love so your strength feels like love to her. All right, next week, you know where we're going? Lord willing, this will be the fourth week I told you this. We're going to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this portion of your word. And thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses sinners. And Father, we 
the men of this church confess to you our failures and our sins. The times we've led out of anger, the times we've been selfish and self-centered and self-serving, we repent and mourn and confess to you our sins. The times when we just avoided and played and bought peace with the price of our absence, we confess it to you. Thank you for the blood of Christ. The times when we were not principled and beneficent, when we did not love as Christ and give ourselves, we confess it to you and thank you for the blood of Christ washes us clean. And the wives of this church, Father, may have things to confess to you equally, the times when they have wanted him to be strong but fought his strength in a way that wasn't right and that wasn't principled. Thank you that, that the cross stands and sinners can go to the cross and find grace and pardon. We pray, Father, that people who are in our midst today and maybe don't know Jesus Christ, maybe you would like to use this message to bring conviction. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. May, may sinners be convicted of sin today, that they would turn to Jesus Christ for pardon. Father, we plead with you, would you strengthen us as men and women, whether we're single or married, strengthen us in our roles. And for the husbands and wives of the church, would you strengthen our marriages? May the fragrance of Christ abound in our homes. To the honor and glory of God, to your honor and glory, to the blessing of souls, we pray for all in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you'd like to reach out to a pastor. How can I get a hold of one? We are very available to you. Easiest way to get a hold of us, if you don't know how, just text the word pastor to the number on the screen. We'll reach out to you. We'll get together. Thanks. Pastor Stan. Thank you, Steve. Faithful proclamation of the word of God. And good afternoon, everyone. I begin by asking you a question. How many of you are thankful today that you have been given light? and don't walk in spiritual darkness. As we prepare for communion today, keep that thought in mind. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to join us at the table of communion. If you need the elements, you can find them in the back of the room. We should be thankful that God has given us light. And this is possible because our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, has executed the office of prophet. Bible tells us that Jesus Christ communicates the will of God to us. And I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture to point that out to you. In John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50, Jesus said these words, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. In John 8, Jesus said these words, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, 
then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. So every time that we open our Bibles, who do we thank? The great prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time you hear faithful preaching of the Word of God, who do we thank? The great prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank God that he executed the office of prophet. He's given to us the Word of God, which sets men free. So let's keep that thought as we 